Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is your spot in Navy Yard for the NBA Finals as the Golden State Warriors take on the Boston Celtics this Thursday night at 9. Located just across the street from the ballpark, walk on over to Walters. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. the pitch. Swinging a fly ball into deep center. Back goes Robles looking up. It's going, going and long gone goodbye. A tape measure home run for Starling Marte is second in as many games. His sixth of the year as Corbin threw a fastball knee high center of the plate and Marte went down and got it. Now the kick in the pitch. Swing and a line drive, hit hard down the right field line. It is a fair ball into the corner. One run has scored. Two runs have scored. And the stop sign up for Nito at third. In its second with a double and his fourth consecutive hit in this game is Mark Canna. He is four for four. He drives in two more Mets runs. It's now New York six and Washington nothing. And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, June 1st, 2022, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at City Field in New York. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Tuesday was a news-filled day for the Nats. Uh, there was a lot happening with the Nats prior to their game on Tuesday night, and then came that game on Tuesday night, and there wasn't much happening in that game. Uh, at least there wasn't much good happening in that game from a Nats perspective, the Nats on Tuesday night got wrecked at the National League East leading New York Mets for a second consecutive night. 10 nothing was the final. This off the 13-5 loss on Monday night. So the Nats have gotten outscored over the first two games of this series, 23-5. The Nats this season now are a National League worst, 18-33. and Yes, the Nats now have the worst record in the National League, a record that is worse than that of the lowly. Cincinnati Reds. Uh, Mark, from a Nats perspective, Tuesday afternoon was a lot more interesting than Tuesday night was. Yeah, unfortunately, Al, and I think unfortunately there have been and may continue to be more games like this that are not as interesting as whatever the news may be. I was wondering myself, you know, how often is this happening? It feels like they've had a good number of these blowout losses. And sure enough, this is the 15th game they've lost by five or more runs the eighth time they've lost by seven or more runs, and the sixth time already that they've lost a game by nine or more runs. That is a lot 
It is happening with way too much regularity. And once again, you have a game where by the fourth inning, we already know what the result's going to be, and it's not good. No, it's not. The Nats' run differential on the season is minus 71. If you look at what the Nats expected, one loss record should be given that run differential. The expected one loss record is the exact same as the actual one loss record, 18 and 33. This is a bad baseball team. This comes off as a bad baseball team, and the results are bearing out uh, that this is a bad baseball team. Well, we'll get to the news, and there's a lot to get into with what went down on Tuesday afternoon with the Nats. But regarding the game on Tuesday night, so this was another chapter in the saga of as the Patrick Corbin turns. And as the Patrick Corbin turns is in a very bad way. Uh, Patrick Corbin on Tuesday night had yet another hideous outing for him in his fall from grace. Uh, Corbin on Tuesday night, seven runs in four into third innings. He gave up a jaw-dropping 12 hits, a home run and 11 singles. He issued two walks, one of which was intentional. He threw one wild pitch. He did have six strikeouts. He did throw a bunch of strikes, 71 strikes versus 35 balls, but he threw 106 pitches over his four into third innings. I mean, it was just one hit after another. The biggest blow was that two-run homer that he gave up to Starling Marte to dead center for a 2-0 Mets lead. I mean, basically just a handful of minutes into the game, the Nats are down 2-0. And Marte, who's having some season, uh, he just blasted that pitch uh, 431 feet for StatCast. But, you know, Mark, I mean, with Corbin, you know, we've had the conversation about 4,000 times now. But what really stands out now is this. Bad in 2020, worse in 2021. He's now even worse in 2022. This isn't necessarily a continuation of the bad. This is digging deeper on the bad. He's getting lower on his bad. His ERA in 2020 was 466. His ERA in 2021 was 582. His ERA now this season is 696. He is appreciably worse this season than he was those last two seasons. And of course, he was quite bad those last two seasons. And he's just getting hit. You mentioned all the strikes that he threw. That was you know, kind of a good thing. They want him in the strike zone more. They want him down in the zone. That's what he's been doing. He's just not putting anybody away. And they're collecting hits off him, 11 singles. Now, I mean, he felt like there was a little bit of bad luck in this one. And I guess you could say there was some of that. There were ground balls to the right spots. There were a couple of comebackers that he probably should have just let go because it probably would have been a double play if he let it get to the infielder behind him. Instead, he, you know, nicked it and hit it into another different direction. There were, you know, a couple of bloops and all that. So, I mean, no, there wasn't a ton of loud contact aside from the home run. But by the same token, Patrick Corbin, when we saw him at his best, and it feels like an eternity ago now, he was a strikeout pitcher. That's what he did. He got ahead and then he threw that slider and got you to swing and miss at it. And he's just not doing that with any regularity. I'm kind of at a loss. I think he's at a loss. I think the team's at a loss. They're running out of things to try at this point. And I know we talked before, you know, maybe there was a time that we thought his time in the rotation could be coming to an end. Not at the moment, not given what their other options are. Maybe there will be a point at somewhere down the road this summer. But at the moment, there's probably one spot that is going to be taken over. That's by Steven Strasburg coming up in the next week or two. Joe Ross, we know, is not coming back this year. Cade Cavalli will be here eventually, but I don't sense that that's on the cusp of happening. Cole Henry may be here much later down the road. Right now, they don't have enough starters to bump Corbin from the rotation. Forget about the contract or anything else. They kind of just need him to be out there and pitch every fifth day. And I guess the one good thing you could say is he's healthy 
He's going to give you 100 pitches every time. At least he got into the fifth inning, something Eric Fetty didn't come close to doing the night before. But that's <laughs> it's a lot of money to, to spend on just a guy who's literally only able to eat innings for you right now and not much else. We have a poll that we have put up on Twitter. You can follow the Nats Chat podcast on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. And the poll reads as follows. We've done this before, but here we are again. What do you want to happen the next time Patrick Corbin is due up in the rotation, which likely is on Sunday in Cincinnati? Start him or skip him? Uh, The overwhelming answer, not surprisingly, is skip him. This, of course, is a tainted poll that Tim Shovers puts out there right after a wretched start by Corbin. (laughs) Shovers asks this question, a very unfair timing of the question, Shovers. Uh, But we get the idea. And look, like you just outlined and like we've discussed, Corbin probably isn't going anywhere. I think what really stands out, though, is it's not just that he's bad again for a third consecutive season. It's that he's getting worse, okay? It's not that he's not getting better. It's that he's getting worse. The results are worse. The ERA is a full run worse so far this season than the ERA was for last season when he had the single worst ERA among all qualified pitchers in baseball. And I just cannot get over that. You would think at some point you bottom out. And the truth this year is that the bottom keeps getting lower and lower and lower. You know, it's like limbo. How low can you go? How low can Corbin go? We don't know but he continues to sink lower. And I think that is just what is so amazing about all of this. The guy is talented enough and accomplished enough to where you think there would be a bottoming out point, but we keep discovering there are new layers to which the struggles can go. The one good thing, I suppose, uh, here's some improvement from last year. He's not giving up homers anywhere close to the rate that he did last year when he gave up 37 of them in 31 innings. He's only given up or 31 starts. He's given up uh, seven of them now in 11 starts. So fewer than one homer allowed per start. That's improvement. That's If he's getting beat, it's because of a flurry of hits and a few more walks, I guess. But I'm, I'm looking at the numbers here. The single biggest thing that strikes me is going back to 2019 is the strikeout rate. He was at 10.6 strikeouts per nine innings in 2019. The year before that in Arizona, actually 11.1. Last three seasons, 8.2, 7.5. He doesn't have the stuff to get hitters out with weak contact. He has to get hitters out with swings and misses, and he does not do that nearly enough anymore. No, he doesn't. I mean, he's not the same pitcher. I think the time in which you talk about fixing Corbin basically is gone. You, you, You don't pitch this poorly and pitch progressively worse as he has, and then all of a sudden become fixed and become good again. Like, I think this is just who he is at this point. And You know, it just becomes a question of how much are you willing to put up with here? I mean, you're not going to DFA him, not with the money that is owed to him, not with the Nats' current ownership situation. If they get a new owner who's a Steve Cohen type who has, you know, screw you money and just doesn't care, maybe they end up DFAing the guy. But, you know, for right now, that's not happening. And so here we are. And he goes out there and, you know, it, it especially stands out too, Mark, because the Nats are in this precarious position here where they don't have many off days. They are lacking in pitching options. You know, it was interesting to me, Eric Fetty, after his bad outing on Monday night, genuinely seemed to feel bad, not just about having pitched poorly, but about having put the team in a tough spot with its current pitching predicament. And so what you needed on Tuesday night was a decent outing from Corbin. And instead, you know, you get what you end up getting. You know, it's like, it's not just what he does. Sometimes it's like when he does what he does. The timing of these bad outings, it feels like cannot be worse. And he knew what he needed to do in this game, and he knew that he didn't get that done for them. He said he started the fifth inning and was hopeful 
that he could not only get through that one, but come back out and at least start the sixth inning for them. And obviously that didn't happen. He faced four batters in the fifth, retired only one of them. And then that was the end of that once his pitch count was up over a hundred. So he was frustrated by that. He, you know, say what you want about him, but he is a good teammate and he understands how his performance is impacting the team as a whole and not for the better. And I think that more than anything is what hurts him. I don't think he's the type who is thinking, man, I make $140 million and I've got the one of the highest ERAs in baseball. I don't think it's about that. I think he does feel like he's letting the team down at a time when they need him to be, if not you know, the ace of the staff, at least be a consistent five to six inning pitcher who gives your team a chance to win, to be a leader on the staff. And he knows he's not fulfilling that responsibility. No, he's not. And it's tough to watch. And, you know, I do feel for him. I mean, I know, you know, he's making a lot of money and nobody should uh, go to bed crying over the Corbin situation. But like, this can't be fun. This has got to be embarrassing for him. And he's from New York, too. So he goes to New York and he gets shellacked like this on Tuesday night. That can't be a good feeling. You know, I'm looking at some of the StatCast data with Corbin. He entering Tuesday night was allowing the highest hard hit percentage of his career at uh, 46.1. So he's getting whacked around. You know, there's a reason he's giving up so many hits. And uh, that really started in 2020 when he gave up the most hits in the majors in the shortened season. And it just has continued. And we got what we got with Patrick Corbin in this game on Tuesday night. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. It feels like everything is going up these days, including home prices. And so there's no better time to have the look of your home go up and the value of your home go up with new windows from Window Nation. Get two free windows with every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing for two full years. Take advantage of this offer. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Window Nation windows are the best. The average Window Nation installer has over 16 years of experience with over 20,000 windows installed. Window Nation offers 1,500 custom window combinations, including vinyl, wood, and fiberglass. If your windows are sticky, if your windows are drafty, if your windows are cracked, if your windows are hard to open, if your windows are locking when they close, you need new windows. Get yourself some Window Nation windows and take advantage of this offer. Two free windows with every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing for two full years. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. It's getting hot outside. Weather impacts your windows. Hot days can cause a caulk to crack, seal failures, and condensation. Window Nation only uses top-of-the-line materials, including mold spray and quad max sealant. Window Nation is the best. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and make sure that you ask for the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi. Two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing for two full years. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Here it comes. Swing a line drive, and that hit the runner. It hits Franco, and he is out. And Strange Gordon will get a base hit. I mean, are you kidding me? The Nats offense on Tuesday night wasn't much better than the pitching of Patrick Corbin was. Uh, The Nats scored no runs. The Nats totaled a mere six hits, all of which were singles. The Nats worked three walks. The Nats went 0-2 with runners in scoring position. Uh, No Nelson Cruz on Tuesday night. He did not play due to a left ankle contusion that he suffered on Monday night on a one-out hit-by-pitch in that Nats three-run first inning. But just not a lot going on for the Nats offensively in this game. Uh, Juan Soto, another underwhelming game, 0-3 with a walk. Josh Bell, 1-for-4 with a single. Kbert Ruiz, 0-for-3 with a walk. Uh, Cesar Hernandez, 0-for-4. Yadiel Hernandez, 0-for-4. He has cooled off. Uh, The biggest bright spot for the Nats offensively on Tuesday night was D. Strange Gordon. Uh, He was a Nats starting left fielder in this game, and he was up to being the number 7 batter in Davey Martinez's lineup. That was kind of interesting. And D. Strange Gordon, 3-for-4 with three singles and a stolen base, including one of the more unique singles that you'll ever see top of the fourth, a one-out single on a line drive that went off the back of the Nats runner at first base, Michael Franco, who was automatically out. You know, I may have seen that in the past. I can't remember the last time I saw that. Franco, I mean, that stinks for him. He got nailed in the back. That looked like that hurt, and he's out. <laughs> I mean, that's like a double whammy for Michael Franco on that play. I've always thought that's one of the weirdest rules in baseball, like as if the runner could have done anything about that. He tried to get out of the way. He had no chance to get out of the way. And then the batter is credited with a hit. Now, in this case, the ball was smoked. So I think, you know, D. Gordon deserves a hit. But sometimes they'll get credit for a hit on a ball that would have been an out otherwise, if not for the runner being in the way. And so it is a very odd little quirk of baseball and stat keeping that I've never totally understood. Now, the other thing with it, and people were asking me this on Twitter, and I did look it up, and it is true. And I don't know in this case if it applies or not. But some were saying that it actually should not have been called there, that you only call the runner out if the ball strikes him when he's in front of a fielder, if the fielder has not had the opportunity to get to the ball yet. And if it's clear that a fielder a trailing fielder would not have had any play on it, then they're not supposed to call it. And this was so quick. It was like right off of first base. I think if I remember right, Alonzo was playing in. So I think it was past him. And the second baseman wasn't anywhere close to it. I mean, that was going to be a hit if it doesn't hit Franco. 
So maybe there is an argument there to say that that rule wasn't applied properly, but it is such a rare play to begin with. And certainly in that case, where it's behind the fielder, I don't know if I've ever actually seen that called before in a major league game where a guy gets hit by a batted ball and isn't called out. So I'm not trying to excuse it if they got it wrong, but it was a a really odd moment and something you just don't see very often. Yeah. I mean, putting aside what the rule is, just watching that, that did not feel like Franco should have been out, you know, and that did feel like a legitimate hit. Like you said, D. Strange Gordon struck that ball rather well. And, you know, he hits for basically no power. He has two extra base hits the entire year, a triple and a double. He barely works any walks, but he is picking up singles. Like I said, three more singles on Tuesday night. D. Strange Gordon now, 54 plate appearances for the Nats this season. He's batting 315. He's given you a little something when he's out there. And the speed, of course, is undeniable. I mean, that stolen base that he had. So he, in the top of the second, had a two-out first pitch single to right field and a stolen base on which he advanced to third base due to a throwing error by Mets first baseman Pete Alonso. That pressure that is applied by his speed, we've seen that pop up multiple times. So, you know, his offensive impact can only go so far because he doesn't draw walks. He doesn't hit for power. But there is a spark when D. Strange Gordon is out there. Yeah. And for a little while on this night, after Alcides Escobar got hurt, I'm thinking to myself, is there a chance that D. Strange Gordon is all of a sudden going to be their starting shortstop for a while? It does not appear that's going to be the case because as bad as it looked, (laughs) the way that Escobar had to be helped off the field after injuring his hamstring, after the game, he told us that he's fine, that it was a cramp, that it's already been treated, maybe a dehydration situation as opposed to an actual strain of a muscle. And uh, I don't know if that means he's going to play in the finale on Wednesday or not, but he didn't seem to think he's going to have to miss any time at all. And that's, I guess, a silver lining (laughs) to a night that it looked like they had suffered a major injury there. Yeah, hamstrings are odd in that way. It can look like a guy has lost a leg and then actually, no, it's just a cramp and he's uh, going to end up being all right. So it was an ugly game for the Nationals, no doubt. I mean, 10-0 tells you all you need to know. The Mets are a juggernaut right now. We discussed that on the last installment of the podcast. So prior to the game on Tuesday night was a lot of Nats news. We could spend like two hours on everything that happened with the Nats prior to the game. I guess let's start with all of the bullpen stuff before the game. So the Nats on Tuesday afternoon made slash announced a number of roster moves. Uh, The Nats did designate reliever Austin Voth for assignment. So Austin Voth has been DFA'd, and his time with the organization now may be done. We'll see what ends up happening. The Nats option reliever Andres Machado to AAA Rochester. The Nats selected the contract of reliever Jordan Weems from AAA Rochester. The Nats recalled reliever Francisco Perez from AAA Rochester. And just to throw something else into the mix, the Nats announced that starter Aaron Sanchez, who the team, of course, had DFA'd late night this past Saturday night, has cleared outright waivers and has elected for free agency. So he's gone. Uh, Before we get to what we saw from Perez and Weems on Tuesday night, it's interesting because, you know, considering all of the Nats pitching problems this season and pitching questions this season, we haven't really had a ton in the way of roster moves. You see a lot of other teams in baseball basically establish a shuttle between the Major League Club and the AAA Club, and you constantly see guys being optioned back and forth. For whatever reason, we haven't seen that with the Nats this season. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But this day on Tuesday kind of felt like the first time we've seen something like that. Why do you think we haven't seen more roster moves made by the Nats with their relievers so far this year? So, yeah, I've been a little surprised by it as well. And really, most of the moves they've made have been injury related. There have been only a handful 
of true baseball decisions. Guys demoted for baseball reasons or called up for baseball reasons. And that has been surprising. I think maybe a reason they haven't done a lot of it is that they've been going with a 10-man bullpen for a lot of the year, uh, nine-man through most of May. And I know the rotation has been bad, but they've been able to usually have fresh relievers. It hasn't really come up where we say, oh man, they just didn't have anybody else available to pitch on this particular day. And then what happened this time was Eric Fetty went one and a third on Monday night. And then the two guys who followed him, Machado and Voth, each went one and a third. And Paolo Espino went three. And the next thing you know, you're saying, uh, we need some fresh arms up here in case we need them tonight. And it's a good thing they had them because they did need them. And in the back of my mind, I was also thinking they may need to make some more moves after the game to make sure they're covered for Wednesday. And sure enough, they already sent Perez back to Rochester after one appearance. And they use that now to call up Evan Lee, who's going to start the game on Wednesday, but probably is not ticketed for a whole lot of innings in this game, even if he pitches well, because he just hasn't done it very much in Harrisburg. So this is really the first time all year that I feel like they are strapped in a pitching department in terms of there are more innings that need to be pitched than available pitchers. And that's why you're seeing this roster churn all of a sudden. But to this point, they haven't really needed it that much. I think it's also a testament to the fact that we've talked about this. Most of the guys in the bullpen who've been here for a little while now have been pretty good. That hasn't been the issue. Remember last year, as many problems as the bullpen had, you saw more churn, send a guy down, bring somebody else up. They haven't needed to do that as much, I think, in part because you know five, six of the relievers have actually been pretty decent. Yeah, it's kind of counterintuitive how it's played out, but that is how it had been playing out. We'll see how things go moving forward. So in the game on Tuesday night, four Nats relievers combined to allow three runs in three and two-thirds innings. Erasmo Ramirez, in what ended up being a four-run Mets fifth, faced four batters. He recorded two strikeouts, but he also gave up a one-out bases loaded two-run double to the first battery face, Mark Canna, then gave up a two-out, two-run single to Francisco Lindor. Then came Francisco Perez, uh, and he struggled. Bottom of the six, allowed two runs on a homer and two singles, gave up a one-out, two-run homer to Eduardo Escobar to left field to put the Mets up 10-0. The biggest bright spot for the Nats from a pitching standpoint on Tuesday night, though, was Jordan Weems. Uh, he, in his Major League regular season debut for the Nats, tossed a perfect bottom of the seventh. And against the Mets' numbers two through four batters, and Weems had two strikeouts. He struck out Francisco Lindor, struck out Pete Alonso, and then Steve Ciszek tossed a scoreless bottom of the eighth inning. So I know it's just one game, but uh, that was pretty impressive what Jordan Weems did in that uh, bottom of the seventh inning. I think that's the one silver lining from this game. The one thing you can look at and say, okay, that made you perk up a little bit and think, oh, okay, this might be something to keep an eye on for down the road. They've had their eye on Weems for a while. Davey liked him in spring training, talked about him a lot. And over the last month or so, you heard his name come up a lot. And you just figured, well, it's a matter of time until they find a spot for him. Had really good strikeout to walk numbers at AAA, which is so important. Basically, the Rochester's closer and has a little bit of big league experience, not real effective big league experience, but he feels like he has turned a corner here this year. And you saw he's got the stuff, 96 to 98 with his fastball against some excellent hitters, as we saw. Now, it's the end of a blowout game and sort of the Palo Espino role. So you don't want to read too much into it. But certainly what you saw suggested, and I know Davey feels the same way, that they want to see more of this from him. And so look for him to get another opportunity here soon. He's 29 years old, so he's not a kid. And like I said, he's been around for a little while. 
but he's got a live arm and they've had their eye on him for a while. And so maybe this is someone who ends up having a prominent role before it's all said and done. By the way, with all of the bullpen maneuvering on Tuesday, uh, still no Tyler Clippard, huh? No. And I would just say if you're Tyler Clippard and you see all these other guys getting called up and you're not, probably does make you wonder, (laughs) is it going to happen? And here's a guy who really has been a consistent big league reliever for a long time. I'm not sure that he's spent this much time in the minors since before he even joined the Nationals the first time around, like 2008. This can't be easy for him. He's pitching better. It's not like he's pitching poorly down there, but he has, for whatever reason, not really been the guy that they're calling on. And you wonder how much longer he's going to want to keep trying before he decides, you know what, maybe I need to look at another organization. Yeah, I mean, especially given Mike Rizzo's penchant for liking older players, liking guys who've been with the dance before. I mean, if you look at Clippard's recent track record, it's not bad. He's been a good reliever. He's been a durable reliever. His numbers for AAA uh, Rochester, ERA a 343, whip a 138. Those aren't great numbers, but they're also not so hideous to where you're like, oh my God, we can't possibly have him come up. The Nats have called up guys with worse numbers in the past. We've seen that. So yeah, it is kind of strange uh, what's happening with Tyler Clifford. All right, uh, more of the news from Tuesday afternoon. So the expected now is official. Uh, Joe Ross will be getting a second Tommy John surgery. Uh, just terrible news. I mean, there's no other way to say it. Uh, Joe Ross in this, his age 29 season, his final season of team control, trying to come back from a right elbow injury. He now is undergoing a second Tommy John surgery. The timing, of course, is bad because of the contract situation. Um, and this just continues. Ross, his career really having just been derailed since, you know, he had those two good seasons, 2015, 2016. And ever since then, it's been one injury after another and a whole lot of inconsistency at the major league level. Now, I know that Davey Martinez in his pregame session with you guys essentially said, hey, we'd like to have Joe Ross resign with us and do his rehab with us. How realistic is that? Do you think it's kind of a fait accompli that the Nats will resign Ross? Or do you think it's possible that the Nats say, nah, you know, let somebody else uh, take care of him moving forward? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it was clear that if it was up to Davey that he would want him to come back. Now, that's also a decision for Joe to make. Does he want to continue the relationship? It's a question for Mike Rizzo, of course. And as we know, there are major questions above all all that before we can answer a lot of these lesser questions that probably still have to be answered. I would just think, and typically, if you have a guy in his situation who's now a free agent, people aren't going to be knocking down his door with offers this winter. Unfortunately, that's just the reality of the situation. And let's keep in mind, that because of the timing of it, we talked the other night about how if he had had the surgery last year, or even if he had had it early in spring training, then he misses the year, but then he's good to go in 2023. At this point, even in a best case scenario, it's probably June of 2023 before he's ready. So if you're another organization that wants to sign him, you're doing so knowing that he's not even going to be ready until sometime in the summer. And so I think a lot of times in those cases, the existing organization and the player themselves will say, hey, the best thing to do is to stay together here because I can continue my rehab with them. They know me. I know them. They're probably going to give him you know, the benefit of the doubt more than another organization that hasn't employed him before would. Now, I would guess because of everything he's been through, you're talking about a non-guaranteed deal, a minor league contract with a lot of incentives if he does come back. You know, they could even look to do some kind of two-year thing because there's no guarantee of what he's going to be next year. But the second Tommy John surgery, and there's no guarantee of anything at this point. It's a really unfortunate position 
for Joe Ross to be in one that he tried to avoid as much as possible. This is why he didn't just have the surgery last year. He was hoping and doctors were hoping he'd get through all this and continue to pitch because he knew this was an important year to pitch and now he's not going to. So we'll see how it all plays out. My hunch would be his best chance of being with somebody next year would be coming back to the Nationals on a minor league deal, finishing the rehab, and then hopefully at some point in the summer, we might actually see him pitch. Yeah. I mean, especially given the state of Nats pitching, there will be opportunity here next year. You know, I mean, I don't think the Nats are going to have all of their pitching problems solved come April 2023. Two things really stand out to me. Number one is just how Ross not getting the second Tommy John last summer really ended up playing out in a worst case way. And that's nobody's fault. Okay. I mean, I understand you want to avoid a second Tommy John surgery, but boy, what ended up happening essentially, knowing everything we know now, is that he wasted nine months of his career. Like, that's basically what ended up happening. And, you know, for a guy like Joe Ross, who's about to go into his 30s with his injury track record, this really is bad. He may not pitch again at the major league level until 2024. Like, that is a possibility here. And if you had had to script this out in the worst possible way for Ross last August when his season got shut down, what ended up happening is basically what you would have written out in terms of a worst case scenario. So I really feel bad for the guy from that perspective. The other thing is this, when we talk about the collapse of the Nats starting pitching, there's no doubt that starts with what's happened with Steven Strasburg and Patrick Corbin. But I think a sneaky thing is what's happened with Joe Ross. Like I said, 2015-2016, he was on the rise, and not that he felt you felt like he was going to be an ace, but you felt like he could be, you know, say a number three starter for you for years to come. He's still not yet 30. Like I said, age 29 season. If Joe Ross had stayed healthy and worked out more, not that he himself would have prevented the collapse of the Nats pitching, but boy, it would have helped having him. And that he hasn't been close to what he was in 15 and 16 since those two seasons. That's another thing that's happened in terms of a starting pitcher not lasting or not working out for this team. It doesn't come up a lot because he was never as great as Strasburg or Corbin, but you know that does stand out because it felt initially like this guy could be a real piece for the Nats in their rotations moving forward. And we've talked so much about how much they've struggled to develop their own pitching. Now, I know he wasn't drafted by them, but he was young enough when they made the trade with the Padres and the Rays to get him, that essentially he was like one of their own. And he did come up and look good early on before the first surgery. There was a lot of reason even coming back from that to think, hey, this guy could be your number three or four starter for years to come because you have him under control. And it never panned out that way. And I know that it happened as a result of you know Max Scherzer being hurt, but this guy started a World Series game. Okay, There's only a short list of pitchers who've done that. Does tell you what he could have been if healthy and how this organization thought of him. And yeah, I agree. I think it's a good point that if his career goes a different path, if he doesn't get hurt several times, he's maybe, maybe not the ace of this staff in the long run, but he is part of this rotation for a long time and maybe prevents them from needing to go out and try to find others to fill those spots. And so it is a pretty big loss in that regard. Yeah. And another thing too with Joe Ross, you know, you mentioned him starting the World Series game in 2019. So he was so bad as a reliever that year, right? But then down the stretch of that regular season, he was very key for the Nats as a starting pitcher. You know, go look up what Joe Ross did, say, in August 2019. He made some big starts. He was good for them as they, remember, they had to rally to make the postseason that year. He was a part of that that season. So, you know, it's kind of easy to forget these things. 
All right, we continue to navigate through all the Nats news from Tuesday afternoon. So Steven Strasburg, the next minor league rehab assignment outing Friday night in Rochester. Uh, sounds like this could be it for him and that his next start after that could be at the major league level. Is that how you are interpreting things? In a best case scenario, yes, that is how it would play out. He's going to be good to go up to six innings and 80 or 85 pitches. So if that all goes well, and if he comes out of it feeling good about how he feels and he thinks that he's ready, yes, I think they will activate him after that. But they're not going to force that if it's not 100% certain. If for whatever reason he has to cut the outing short, doesn't build the pitch count up, or just doesn't feel sharp. You know, let's remember his first outing at uh, Fredericksburg, he felt good physically, but he did not feel like he had good command of anything. Now he came back the next time out and was phenomenal and had everything going. So that's a great sign. But there's no guarantee he's going to feel that way again, especially facing AAA hitters. So they're trying not to look too far ahead here. But if it goes well and he feels good about everything, both how he feels physically and how he feels about the, the shape and feel of his pitches, then yes, I think they are willing to consider calling him back up at that point. And then we're talking, I think we said all along June 8th, give or take, which would be the anniversary of his major league debut, somewhere around that point could be it. If not, I think it's one more after that, just to be sure, then maybe they are good to go after that. But they are definitely, you know, in the home stretch of this process. And that is a huge relief for a lot of people. Because let's just think back. When we found out he was having that surgery last summer, we had no idea what to expect. And you know thoracic outlet surgery can be the end of guys' careers. And we still don't know for sure how effective he's going to be. But he is healthy. He was throwing 92 to 94 the other day in Fredericksburg, which is, that's what he was throwing for the most part in 2019. And there was a really good feeling about his curveball and his changeup. And that's, I think, ultimately, whatever career he has left in him, it's going to be the changeup and the curveball that make it potentially special. It's not going to be because of the fastball. He knows that. He's adapted. So just the fact that we're at this point, I think, is a pretty big win because we didn't really know if he'd even get to this point last summer when we got the news. No. I mean, the fact that he's made two minor league rehab assignment starts and has come out of each one feeling good makes you feel good. Like, okay, you know, we're establishing some positive health momentum with Steven Strasburg, which always uh, is so key, but there clearly is a ways to go with him. And then the final Nats news item from Tuesday afternoon is we now know the mystery man uh, in terms of the starting pitcher for the Nats for game three at the Mets on Wednesday afternoon. And that man will be Evan Lee. I got a kick out of this. Evan Lee was uh, walking around City Field with the Nats out in the open. So it became pretty obvious he would be the man uh, on Wednesday afternoon. So Evan Lee was taken by the Nats in the 15th round of the 2018 MLB draft out of the University of Arkansas. You know, he's not some like top-notch prospect or anything like that. This is his age 25 season. He for double-A Harrisburg this season has totaled 30 innings over seven starts, ERA a 360, whip a 133. Those obviously are not dominant numbers, but he does have a strikeouts for nine innings of 11.1. And, you know, clearly this is a spot start scenario. You just hope to get something out of the guy. And I would imagine it will be, you know, just a few innings and then you try to move on to the next person here. But what do you make of Evan Lee being the guy here? Because I know this wasn't necessarily anticipated. No, it wasn't. And I think we have to acknowledge that this is you know, not necessarily plan A. I think plan A was that Fetty would give him five or six in the opener and Corbin would give him five or six in game two. And Josh Rogers and Paolo Espino would be good to go 
together and maybe get them through the series finale. That didn't happen. So now you have to adjust on the fly. The reason that it's Evan Lee and maybe not Jackson Tetro, who we had talked about the other night as the AAA starter who has a little more experience and you would think might make a little more sense, be better prepared for it. The reason is, is that Evan Lee is already on the 40-man roster. That's a move they made last winter to protect him from the Rule 5 draft. And you know when you make that move, you do so because you believe this is somebody who is going to be in the big leagues for you and not just for one start, but may have a real career with you and you don't want to risk losing him. And you also think that there's a chance he's going to be up at some point within the next year. So it makes sense that they felt that way about him. The downside is, like you said, hasn't pitched a ton. They've really limited his workload. And Davey even mentioned tonight, they're probably looking for three or four innings from him. I don't think they're going to ask for a whole lot more than that. And let's be honest, he's facing a really good Mets lineup that has carved up pretty much everybody. Everybody other than Paolo Espino and Jordan Weems has struggled in this series for the Nationals. So I would set the expectations very low on uh, Evan Lee. I would also assume that good or bad, this is probably a one-off situation. If Strasburg is good to go after his rehab start, then he probably takes this spot the next time around. If he's not, they might find some other way to get through this, or maybe they keep Lee up here for one more. But I don't think given how inexperienced he is and how much they're being careful with him as a young starter in the minor leagues, that they're all of a sudden bringing him up here to stay and he's going to pitch every fifth day for the rest of the year for the Nationals. Oh, no. It, it, this does not reek of that at all. This reeks, honestly, kind of like of Johan Adone pitching against Boston to end last season, uh, although Adone ended up pitching more at the major league level this year. But you know that was just, hey, we need somebody. Kid, you go out there and do it. And Adone, to his credit, did a pretty good job. So maybe Evan Lee does so uh, on Wednesday afternoon. But yeah, this has been a very humbling series so far for the Nationals at City Field. This has not been pretty. The, the Mets are working uh, this Nats pitching staff. So we'll see what happens on Wednesday afternoon. You tell us what you think. You can hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. That's NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to Nats Chat Podcast. Dot square dot site. That's Nats Chat Podcast. Dot square dot site. Shout out to our friend Melissa who was sporting her Nats Chat Podcast T-shirt uh, recently. We appreciate that, and uh, we always encourage you to wear your Nats Chat Podcast gear to a Nationals game, home or away. Send us the photo; we'll put it out there for you. Uh, all Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast.